The Guardian. Hello, I'm John Dennis. Today, GPs will decide how NHS money is to be spent in reforms announced by the government. We're handing £80 billion worth of public money, which probably buys you about 40 Afghan wars, to thousands of family doctors who've never commissioned services. Film director Roman Polanski has escaped extradition to the United States. When the um, Swiss uh, Justice Ministry said that he would not be extradited, there were gasps of surprise. Tensions in Belfast after a night of sectarian violence. And then from out of the shadows came a, a masked man with a shotgun and he fired at the police lines and wounded three officers. And we join South Africans celebrating the final of the 2010 World Cup. Three, two, one. Waka, waka! Mandela. You've worked hard for this country. This is the result. We thank you as our president. May God bless you. First, our top story. Radical reforms of the National Health Service have been unveiled by the Tory Health Secretary, Andrew Lansley. His white paper hands a chunk of the multi-million pound budget currently handled by primary care trusts to GPs. Lansley announced his plans in the Commons, where they were attacked by Labour's health spokesman and party leadership contender, Andy Burnham. After a transitional period, we will phase out the top-down management hierarchy including both strategic health authorities and primary care trusts. This is part of a wider drive across government to increase the accountability of public bodies and reduce their number and cost. The dismantling of this bureaucracy will help the NHS realise up to £20 billion of efficiency savings by 2014, all of which will be reinvested into patient care. It is a huge gamble with a national health service that is working well for patients. His spin operation bills it as the biggest revolution in the NHS since its foundation 60 years ago. Something of a surprise given that the ink was barely dry on a coalition agreement that said the following. We will stop the top-down reorganisations of the NHS that have got in the way of patient care. What has happened since the publication of the coalition agreement to justify a U-turn of such epic proportions? The Guardian's social affairs editor is Randeep Ramesh. The main proposals of the white paper are an introduction of control of the NHS handed over to family doctors, to GPs. They will basically decide where you go to hospital um, with you. I mean, you'll, you'll be shown a list of the best people in your area and the best hospitals and the best care and the number of people your local surgeon has killed um, and said, there you go, would you like to go there? And they'll go and pay for it out of a budget that the NHS will give them. It sounds like a technical change, but actually what you'll find is GPs competing for patients because the money follows the patient. What will it mean for patients? It will mean, well, it's unclear what it will mean for patients if you read the white paper, but talking to those people who follow this subject closer than I, you and I do, they say that, well, first of all, um, say you're living in Woking. Um, now, people, there's 35% of people in Woking have health insurance. Now, you could see local hospitals reshaping all the things they offer to a wealthy and affluent audience. Um, now, that would be very different to someone in Hackney, for example, where we don't have a wealthy audience who don't have health insurance, who might not want all the bells and whistles that that might buy for us. Um, 
And importantly, there's a, there's a whole series of market reforms involved with hospitals themselves. Hospitals will be able to um, generate much more private income. They will um, be allowed to form community interest companies, become John Lewis models. Now, effectively, um, a hospital is either a private sector body or it's a public sector body. And what you're talking about is moving hospitals out of the public sector. So they're quite big things. And hospitals will be allowed to go bust which is another big thing. We've never seen that in Britain. Hospitals being allowed to go bust. The, the Andrew Lanzi is very clear about that today. I mean, isn't that potentially uh, you know, a political disaster for a, a health secretary, a hospital going bust? Well, you see, Andrew Lanzi says he won't be in charge anymore. That will be all down to the bottom-up approach of the uh, coalition government. And he will just be overseeing it, sort of a kind of... M- mysterious figure hovering above the health service rather than, you know, Labour's sort of people running around with spanners fixing it every five minutes. And GPs, will they be any better than health trusts at deciding how NHS money should be spent? Well, health trusts weren't very good. No, that was the um, the MP select committee from earlier this year basically said there was patchy and poor service. Um, it's unclear whether GPs will be any better. The problem for the rest of us is we're handing £80 billion worth of public money, which probably buys you about 40 Afghan wars, to thousands of family doctors who've never commissioned services, or most of whom have never commissioned services in their life. So um, that's a difficult thing to handle for anybody. They're, they're, they might hire other people to do so, private contractors. And one of the fears is that a company like um, United Healthcare might own a hospital and it might also be advising GPs on where to send you and they might favour their own hospitals. So a lot of this stuff's in the detail. One thing's very clear, we are seeing a marketisation of the health service in this country and secondly, we're also probably seeing the end of a, a monolithic, one-size-fits-all NHS, much more postcode lottery-style NHS services. Randeep Ramesh, and there's full coverage today at guardian.co.uk slash health. Guardian Daily, news and reports from around the world. The Polish film director, Roman Polanski, won't be extradited to the United States from Switzerland. Polanski was arrested on a US warrant last year in Zurich, and he's spent the last nine months under house arrest in Switzerland, pending today's decision. Polanski's wanted for sentencing in the US, where he admits having sex with a 13-year-old girl 33 years ago. In Berlin, The Guardian's correspondent, Kate Connolly, says today's decision was surprising. It was indeed. Um, indeed, the Swiss newspapers this morning ahead of the announcement, which we were expecting to happen at two o'clock local time, um, all said that it was expected that the decision would be made um, to extradite him. So when the um, Swiss uh, Justice Ministry uh, came um, to the press conference in Bern and said that he would not be extradited and the measures of restriction of his, on his liberty had been lifted, um, there were gasps of surprise. Um, and of course, um, it doesn't bring an end to this story but it's um, it's certainly an interesting twist to it. Why isn't he being extradited? Well, the uh, Swiss authorities have said that um, various things were taken into account. One was the fact that for years he had been allowed to come in and out of, the, of Switzerland um, at his own free will, and the fact that he chose to come in to Zurich last year to a, a film festival to pick up a Lifetime Achievement Award. He wouldn't have gone to Switzerland if he had believed there had been the chance of him being arrested. So they said it was a, a case of um, his trust in the country. They also said national interests 
had been considered before the decision was made, by which we um, understand probably um, something to do with his cultural standing in the world. And also uh, they'd requested some papers from the US authorities saying that they could not extradite him unless they actually had these papers about his original um, case in the 1970s. The US authorities um, refused um, to hand these papers over and the Swiss said that uh, on that on that basis they had no choice but to let him go free. Could this decision end America's pursuit of Polanski? I think we're going to have to wait for reaction from the states as to, f- to find out what uh, what they are going to say about this. Now we're understanding or we're, we're uh, expecting that this is likely to cause uh, certain diplomatic tensions between Switzerland and the US, though we understand that the uh, Justice Ministry did sit down and uh, at length talk to the US ambassador to Switzerland, explaining their position and that they reached a level of understanding. Um, but um, what is clear that is that um, he's not going to go to the states because they then if he did so, he would be arrested. As we understand it, he's now left um, Switzerland um, and is heading for his home in France. After all, he has been in house ar- under house arrest in his Swiss chalet for the last 10 months. He's revered in France as a sort of cultural icon, isn't he? And, uh, and he's had wide support from uh, many famous names in the film industry. That's right. I mean, obviously, it's split people. But um, this has always, you know, it's been said in the headlines today, the great film director that seems to be the thing that stands out. And of course, you know, Oscar winning uh, director of, of various films, including Rosemary's Baby, Chinatown and The Pianist. Um, but, um, you know, doesn't uh, cover up the fact that, um, you know, probably about, uh, was it now 32, 33 years ago, he did um, uh, uh, run away from the judicial authorities in the US um, which um, is still a point of argument as to whether that was that was a mistake on his part or not. Um, and of course, the judicial authorities have been pursuing him all these years. Now, whether he will be able to put this to rest now is is another matter. Um, his um, electronic tag has been removed. You know, this morning he was able to move beyond his garden for the first time. So I suppose he will now be making plans about his future. He, we understand that he's got future film projects that he is planning and eager to get his teeth into. Kate Connolly. Up to 30 police officers were injured in the early hours of this morning in two separate riots at sectarian flashpoints in Belfast. The Guardian's Ireland correspondent, Henry MacDonald, has the details. In one incident in North Belfast, there's a street called North Queen Street, which links the Nationalist New Lodger area to the Loyalist Taggers Bay. A mob of youths from the Nationalist side uh, attacked police lines. The police lines were there to keep the communities apart during the the eve of the 12th of July demonstrations. And it turned particularly ugly. It was uh, a lot of petrol bombs, bricks, bottles thrown at the police. And then from out of the shadows came a, a masked man with a shotgun, and he fired at the police lines and wounded three officers, one of them a female. One of the officers is still in, in hospital with gunshot wounds to his arm, but there was no life-threatening injuries. Police have said that the violence was orchestrated. Who by? Well, not only the police, interestingly, Sinn Féin's Jerry Kelly, he's a minister in the government and a former IRA prisoner, he said today that the violence was indeed orchestrated by the Republican dissidents. One of many groups could be the Continuity IRA, could be the real IRA, but that they are behind this violence. And, you know, in many ways it reflects a pattern that's been here for 40 years, you know, orchestrated riot against the security forces, caused tension, and also... You're blooding potential recruits. You're finding recruits from the, from the kind of the 
sort of street army, and I think that's what the Republican dissidents are playing at. They're, they're heightening tensions, and at the same time, they're hoping to try and create a new generation of Republican young militants. Well, as you say, I mean, the tensions have been heightened by this. Is there now a risk of further disturbances? Well, the, the big question is tonight. What will tonight bring? When the Orange Parade, the main parade returns from... Uh, its uh, main location point in Belfast. There is a couple of feeder parades, one of which will pass a nationalist area also in North Belfast called Ardoyne. It passed off peacefully this morning, it has to be said, but as what happened last year, there was a lot of trouble on the way back, a lot of rioting, the police had to deploy water cannon, and there was an awful lot of people hurt. So the potentials there, it's, the, the, the violence in the Broadway area, that's in West Belfast, that's uh, an area linking the Falls Road down to the motorway, uh, the main motorway to Dublin, it has been particularly bad for the last week. There have been almost nightly disturbances that are um, a lot of trouble, and that could flare up at any time as well. So this time of the year is always fairly tense in Northern Ireland, but this year has been particularly bad, and, and there does seem to be, as the police and Sinn Féin are saying, both of them, some level of orchestration. From guardian.co.uk, this is Guardian Daily. Last night, Spain became World Cup champions, defeating Holland in extra time. South Africans at fan parks around the country made sure the tournament finished in style with bands and DJs performing before public screenings of the World Cup final. Let's hear from some football supporters at the New Town Fan Park in Johannesburg. It's uh, so sad because the World Cup is going in South Africa. So today is the last day for the World Cup, so everyone is happy. Oh, New Town Fan, fan Park is very awesome. Everyone is feeling the vibe, there's a lot of entertainment, the music and stuff. That was great, man. Spain was the best team to win this World Cup. Yeah, it's been a great month. I can't believe it's coming to an end. This is history, my man. That's all I would like to say, first first and foremost. The first African World Cup. And to find out that both two European teams are in the world final. And Spain were the better side. Both teams played. Big ups to Netherlands. They did all their best. And also, I would like to thank South Africa. Africa, in most cases. We worked so hard for this. We did manage to hold the biggest cup event in the world. I would like to say thank you very much to the president of FIFA, Sepp Blatter, Jerome Valke, and all the FIFA delegates for putting the hope in South Africa, for putting trust in South Africa and give Africa a chance. Mandela, you've worked hard for this country. This is the result. We thank you as our president. May God bless you. Thank you very much. Three, two, one. Waka waka! So no more vuvuzelas for at least another month until the football season starts anyway. Today's podcast was produced by Andy Duckworth. My name's John Dennis. Thanks for listening.
For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.